First Peter chapter 2. Good to see everybody this morning. And, and awesome time of praise, praising our blessed Redeemer, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 2 this morning. We're going to read verses 9 through 12 today. And uh, the message I'm going to preach this morning is entitled, Set Apart from the World. Set Apart from the World. Let's go ahead and read the scripture together. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this glorious morning. Thank you, God, for the rain that has fallen today. Thank you, Lord, for for blessing us so that we could be together to worship you and to sing praise to Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, our blessed Redeemer, the Lord of all. We give you honor and glory and praise for this day. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts today as we open the Word of God and preach the Word of God. I pray that you would reach us and minister to us, Lord, in the way that you know how. And I pray that we would be obedient in our response. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, so, so who's up for a story this morning? I'm going to start today with a story. There were, there were once three teenagers who ventured out, of, out on their own into the world. And, 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 and before each of them left, okay, to go out into the world, they were told, never forget who you are. Don't forget your foundation, okay? Never forget who you are. And so, and so the first of the teenagers, he ventures in, or she ventures into the world of relationship. And, and so everything that she did was all about impressing him. And so she made it her life goal to be in this relationship. She, she tried to impress him in how, how she dressed and the way that she did her hair. She even compromised her own convictions and her own upbringing to stay pure just to be with this guy. And, and so and so at night, she would stay up talking on the phone to her boyfriend until they both fell asleep. Her world had become a relationship. All right, the, the second teenager, the second teenager, he wanted to be famous. Whether it was going to be uh, sports or, or acting or writing, he wanted to be the very best at what he did. And so he, he worked very hard to be that. Everything he did, extra hours at the gym, more practice, signing up for this, trying out for that. Uh, uh, he tried to do everything, okay, and, 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 and lead his life by being the best. And so, and so we, he goes to bed every night, and, and, and he's looking at his trophies and all of his accomplishments and all of his ribbons and all of his rewards, and he sleeps under those things just to remind himself, how great am I? How great am I? The third teenager chose to honor Christ with his life. Everything he did, uh, uh, how he studied, how he treated others, the way he honored his family, 
everything that he did glorified Jesus. And, and so at night, at night, uh, uh, not like the other two, at night he spent his time studying his Bible. He spent his time praying to the Lord, praying for his friends, praying for his classmates, praying for his family. And, and, and he would go to bed thanking God for every blessing that he had given him throughout this life. Well, well one day, the first teenager went to go see her boyfriend at school, and she was saddened to find him with another young lady. And he said to her, it's not you, it's me. Okay, uh, and, and he says, we, we can still be friends. And this young lady, she grows depressed, realizing that she had forgotten who she was called to be, who she was supposed to be. And as she fell asleep that night, she realized, I have built my house, my foundation, out of straw. Well, the, the second young man, he went to school one day, and he discovered that he had not made the team. His coach said that there were just better athletes out there. He didn't get the lead role in the play. His journal entry was not chosen in the contest. All he wanted to do with his life was be rich and famous. He went home just like the young lady did. He went home crushed because he realized he built his life on sticks. He realized that he had forgotten. He had forgotten who he was. And then the third teenager, the young man who was following Christ, he came home one afternoon his parents were sitting together on the couch, and they were, they were clearly distraught. They were upset. His mother and father shared that his father had terminal cancer, and he had a very short time to live. There was no cure in sight. And the young man, while his heart hurt, his soul was in anguish, he was able to find peace in God, peace with God, because he had built his foundation on the Lord Jesus Christ, the rock of ages. And he, he remembered that no matter what he faced, no matter what he faced, he had the Lord. He had not forgotten who he was. He was set apart. He was a child of God. In moments of hardship, in moments of hardship and trial and uncertainty and disappointment and struggle, you have to realize, and you must come to a place where you realize that your life, your substance, your being, your hope, your eternity must be found in Jesus or else you will fall apart. You will crumble. You will stumble, as Peter talks about. Christ must be Lord. And this is what the Apostle Peter had in mind as he wrote those pilgrims, those, uh, those, those sojourners, the, those travelers, those aliens that some, some scriptures say, as they scattered across Turkey in, in the first century here in this epistle. Peter was writing to challenge these believers. He was writing to encourage these believers to remember who they were, that their life was set apart in Christ. That is who they were. They could not afford to forget get that. And you and I shouldn't either. There are going to be days where we are tempted and tried to, to, to make our identity something other than that as a follower of Jesus Christ. And there may be moments where we are tempted to find purpose and belonging and worth and value in other places and other people and other things and desires, but they cannot compare to Christ. Listen, the, the world may offer you a kingdom of riches and splendor and personal glory, but what will it gain in the end? What does it have for eternity? What will you have if it's all the world and no Christ? If it's all moments of momentary pleasure and no Christ? What do you have if you don't have Christ? 
My brothers and sisters, life is not, uh, uh, it's just a, life is just a fleeting, short-lived time on earth. Here today, gone tomorrow. Unpredictable time. You get one life. There are no guarantees of the next breath. I, I, I was saddened to hear about just last night a 14-year-old who was killed in a car accident in Union, South Carolina. He's actually related to Mike Pettit, who attends our church. On Friday night, we were at graduation, and there was a, there was a pause in the ceremony for a student who was killed in a, in a car accident just last year. And, and of course, you've heard uh, over the weekend, a, a beloved pastor and preacher in this community, Robert Orr, passed away Friday, Friday morning. Life is but a fleeting vapor, isn't it? And, and I can waste it. I can waste it by focusing on and doing and pursuing and building and storing up stock in this world. Or I can steward my life well. I can value it. I, I, can, I can worship my Lord with it by remembering Him in all I do. We as believers in Christ are called and chosen and set apart differently from the rest of the world. We are a chosen people and our lives should be way different than the rest of the world. And that is the challenge in the letter of First Peter. We've been in this book now for uh, uh, the better part of a month and I, and I pray that you've enjoyed it thus far. And, and as the believers in the first century were set apart and they were, they were different, they were led to persecution. That's what it cost to be a follower of Jesus in the first century. And in the heat of that persecution, Peter is challenging them to live without compromise and to live with undying conviction. And so in, in these few verses that we've read this morning, Peter reminds them of who they are, what sets them apart. And, and this is a challenging text for a lot of reasons because there's this challenge to be set apart that much differently from the world. There, there is a challenge that no matter where you are and who you're with and what you're doing, the believer in Christ has a different calling. The believer in Christ has a different standard in this world, whether it be with the words that he says or the engagements that they are a part of or the conduct that they, that they show or, or, or their time management and priorities and values and beliefs and worldview and convictions and doing. But my question is today for us, do you know who you are? Do you realize what you've been called to? And do you understand that we are supposed to be set apart from the rest of the world? Folks, this is not a message just for adults, youth and children. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to holiness too. If you know Christ, you are called to holiness too, just as your parents are, just as your grandparents are, just as the church should be. There is no age difference. If you know Christ, you have a calling on your life to be set apart. Live for Christ now. You are set apart from the rest of the world. And in this text, Peter gives us at least four characteristics that distinguish believers from the rest of the world. I want to share with you those right here, right now. The first one is this. Believers are set apart in their position. That's the first thing. Believers are set apart in their position. Now, I want you to take a look at verse 9 and verse 10 here in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I love the works of Charles Spurgeon, the the prince of preachers. uh, And he said this, God has set us apart, his people from before the foundation of the world to be his chosen peculiar inheritance. We are sanctified in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. When he subdues our corruptions, imparts to us grace, and leads us onward in the divine walk and life of Christ, faith, Christian men are not to be used for anything but God. They are set apart people. They are vessels of mercy. They are not for the devil's use, not for their own use, but for their master's use. We are reconciled in Christ, set apart in Christ. We are called to righteousness, and we are challenged to stay faithful. We are set apart differently in this world in our position. We are very, very different than that of the world. He says, you're a holy nation. A holy nation. Translation for that means you are a chosen generation. All right, a chosen generation. The word means people. You are a chosen people. You are a chosen race. Meaning, because of Jesus, because of Christ, I'm a part of his family. I'm a part of his bloodline. I'm now a person of the Lord. I'm part of the people of God. I am the church. And Peter does not want them to forget from the start. He doesn't want them to forget. You are different. Don't forget who you are. You are the ones chosen of God. You're the royal priesthood. You are something. You are accepted. You are free. You are in Christ. You are royalty. You are wanted. You are a child of God. That is your position. That is your position. We spend our lives in pursuit or or trying to protect or trying to find or trying to take others' positions in the secular world. It starts in childhood. You seek the position. If you have siblings, you seek the position of the best child. I never had that role, (laughs) all right? Uh, In school, it is good to to be with the teacher and to be close to the teacher, okay? You want a position as the chief student, as the choice student, okay? At work, uh, uh, there's this desire to have the highest position, to do the best you can, to one day maybe be the leader. My, My point is this. We seek often in life position, We desire position. We long for acceptance. We want to have a place, and we want to have a marking place. And and, and can I encourage you this morning, knowing that in Jesus you do have a place, and you don't have to work for it, it's given to you. You have a position. We are born again. We are sanctified. We are set apart. Acts 20 verse 32 says, We are set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Paul writes, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We are a chosen people. We have a different position. I want you to think about this second point. Believers are set apart because they are Christ's possession. They are Christ's possession. Believers are set apart in their possession. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. You belong to him. You are his, his own special people, a people for God's own possession. Ask this question in your heart today. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? You, you, you can look around, and, and if you see a child, okay, you can usually find their siblings because they may look alike. If you, if you see a child, you look around for their parents, for they may resemble that of their parents. When you see my oldest son, you see a lot of me in him, especially uh, uh, the, the older he gets. Micah's going to be broad in the shoulders. He's going to be tall, and, and he's going to have that McDonald hairline. <laughs> All right? It's inevitable. But, but when you see Mally, Mally favors his mom. If you look at Mally's baby picture and her mother's baby picture, you can't tell them apart. They look exactly alike. Who do you belong to? It's one thing to apply that genetically. Who do you belong to spiritually? Who do you belong to spiritually? If you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his possession. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 23 says, you have been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. You've been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. There are but two things in life that determine value. What someone is willing to pay for something and what someone is willing to price something as possessions of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been bought by his blood that was shed on the cross. He gave his life for us. God gave his son for you. The cross shares with you today that you have value, eternal value, that you are a love, that you are treasure, that you are adored. Jesus gave his life for you. He went to the cross for us. Why? Because we, we were sinners and we needed to be saved and he wanted to purchase us, redeem us. We we were valuable to him. There was, a, there was a boy who had painstakingly built a model sailboat. And he had spent many days and many weeks and many hours putting together this sailboat. And finally it came. He wanted to try this thing out on the water. And so he, he, went, to a, he went to a nearby stream. And, and he says, this, this is where I want to try it out. And so, and so he, t- he decides to place it on the water. And it's close to where he lived. Well, the boy loved this boat. He was proud of this boat. He was, he was so thankful that he had put this thing together. It's a great project. So he goes down to the water. He makes sure that the, that the sails are, are, are set just right. He places it into the water, and, and, and then the boat begins to, to sail off, and, and it worked perfectly. 
As he gave his first little push, off she went. And, and the wind caught the sails and the, and the boat began to cut through the waters and it was sailing smoothly. But then unexpectedly, he realized that the, the wind was not getting calmer. The wind was getting much stronger. And the harder the wind blew, the faster the sailboat went and it wasn't going to stop and and he was he was hoping you know he was he was just batting on the fact that this this boat would stop right there in the water but it didn't and and the boy wades in the water and and the boat keeps going and and the deeper that he gets into the water he realizes i i I can't swim after it i can't catch up to it this is going to be dangerous and so when, when the boy gets home he doesn't have his boat anymore that sailboat is long gone he goes home and his mother asked she said what what's wrong didn't your boat work? And the boy said, oh, it worked <laughs> too well, actually. It worked so well that it sailed away. Well, sometime later, the, the same boy was walking downtown, and he passes by this thrift shop, and he looks into the window, and there sits his boat, sailboat that he had, he had put together a, a long time ago. And, and, and it, he picks it up inside the store, and he says, it's mine, <laughs> This is mine. And, and, and he begins to head out the store, and the owner says, Whoa, whoa, son, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, This is my boat. I, I made it. I'm, I'm its creator. I, and, and the man said, It's my boat. I paid for it. It's mine. And the boy said, No, no, I made it. Look at it on the bottom. There's, there's my inscription. I, I, I made it. And he says, If you want it, you're going to have to buy it because I bought it. And then the little boy realized he didn't have any money, and so. He goes home and he, he, does, he does what any little boy would do. He asks, he asks his parents, he says, can I, can I do something to, you know, to, to earn some money so I can, I can get this boat? And, and, so, and so his parents find some odd jobs around the house that he does and he saves up enough, enough money and he goes back to the store and, and he's, got, he's got the money, he pays for a sailboat and he's heading out of the store and he's holding that sailboat close to his chest and, and, and he could be heard saying, you are twice mine, First, you're mine because I made you. Second, you're mine because I bought you. Now, that little boy could have made another boat. Could have made another sailboat. He he could have simply went home, forgot about the old boat, started all over again. But he chose to redeem his boat. And he, he created it and he did what was necessary to buy it back. When when it comes down to it, we are so much like that sailboat. We have been carried away from our, from our creator, the Lord, due to our sin, the, the winds of sin. And, and we have needed him to redeem us, and, and we desperately needed him to save us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Titus chapter 2 says, Christ, our great God and Savior, gave himself for us to redeem us, to purify us for himself, a people, it's my favorite part, a people of his own possession. Folks, you are valuable You are a valuable possession to the Lord. You have been bought with the ultimate price. Do not forget who you are. A third thing I want you to see. We are set apart by our praise. We are set apart by our praise. Believers in Christ are to be set apart by their praise. I want you to look at verse 9. It says, His own special people, middle of the verse, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous 
light. We are called to proclaim the praises of our Lord. And that we've been, we've been, we've been brought out of darkness into marvelous light. Later on, it says that, that we were once not his people, but now we're made his people. Once we could not have mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. We have something to do as believers in Christ, and that is to praise. As believers in Christ, we have a glorious message to proclaim. That message is the gospel. If we have been so possessed by the Lord, and if we have such a position, we've got something wonderful to proclaim, something wonderful to praise. We We have been called out of darkness, Peter writes, into marvelous light. That verse is supposed to mean exactly as it sounds. We have been rescued. We were spiritually in the dark, and we could not get out ourselves, and Christ called us out. Christ rescued us. Christ redeemed us. Colossians 1.13 says, He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. If you look in verse 10, if you look in verse 10, it says, we then become the people of God. We are the people of God. We knew not compassion. We knew not mercy, but now we know it. God loved us. God mercifully gave us what we did not deserve. He mercifully withheld his judgment, his wrath, and saved us. Remember who you are today. You are loved. You are valuable. You are treasured. You were bought with a price. You were rescued and saved. And the call of our life is to proclaim and praise the name of Jesus for us. His excellencies for us. Why? Why did he do all this? So that we could proclaim the praises of his name. Verse 9 says, the excellencies of him. You know, I listen to what people say. Maybe, maybe more than I should. Like when somebody makes a statement, I, I'm a thinker, and so it takes me a while to, you know, to mull over statements and things like that. But, but uh, the other night, my wife and I, we were at Polk County High School graduation, and, and right before the class of 2019 was confirmed, one of the school board members said, he said this, he, fed, he said, find something you're passionate about and go do it. Find something you're passionate about. And go do it. And something about, uh, don't worry about what other people think. Give very little thought to that. And he said that, and I, and I wandered off into Peter land. And, and I asked myself, Peter, what are you most passionate about? What makes your heart tick? What do you live to do? What do you love to do? And can anything rival it? Can anything rival it? Everything, and I got to thinking about that. Everything pales in comparison to praising the Lord Jesus with my life. Think about that. Proclaiming his word. Last night I was at, a, at another grad party, and, and of course we were talking about uh, Brother Robert Orr going to heaven, and a lot of us were saying how jealous we were that he, you know, he's already there, that kind of thing. And, and I said, you know, honestly, thinking about his death, that is the way to go quickly out of here no longer no long no 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 long-term illness still preaching still pastoring a church still serving the lord Uh, i talked to um, one of their deacons from their church and he said he had no plans at all to retire anytime soon it was on his mind for that still serving the lord and and philip guffey and i we, we we agreed now that is the way to die folks if i had a choice i would want to die in service of the lord wouldn't you 
I I would want to die doing something for the Lord Jesus Christ. I I want to be proclaiming his name when he calls me home. I want to be praising his name. No better way to exit this world, the greatest thing that you could do, no greater joy, no greater privilege than to proclaim the praises of the excellencies of the Lord. Verse 9 says that ye should show forth the praises of him. The word proclaim means to show forth. It means to uh, publish. It means to advertise. The word that is used is exangelize. It's the only time in the New Testament that word is used. It means to make it official, to put his name out there, to tell the world. Why? Because I'm a part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We went over that last Sunday. I'm a unique, set-apart servant of the Lord, a holy nation. I've got a position. I've got a platform. I've got an opportunity to proclaim to the world. I belong to Jesus, and I should not, I could could not, I cannot, I will not keep quiet about it. I can't keep the gospel a secret. I must proclaim his excellencies for he has done great things. Christ has done extraordinary work as our redeemer. And I have to share that with people. What a joy to praise the name of the Lord. Amen. What a joy. No greater thing to do. I want to share this fourth thing and then I'm finished. I'm set apart by my position. I'm set apart because I'm his possession. I'm set apart to give praise. This has to lead into further action. Believers in Christ are set apart in their pattern. They're set apart in their pattern. I want you to, I want you to take a look here at verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, aliens, temporary residents, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Everything we do as believers in Christ Everything we do, everything we say, everything that we claim that we believe, everything that we uphold. Next Sunday, we're talking about how believers should live in community, how they should live in government, how they should live before the Lord. Everything that we uphold should glorify the Lord. Do not forget in the heat of the moment, in the temptations, in the war that's out there, do not forget who you are. When the world sees me, and I'm speaking for me personally, when the world sees me, they should not look at me and say, oh, that's Peter. He goes to church, but he is such a hypocrite. He doesn't live like a Christian at all. May that never be said of me, even though I haven't always done a good job of that. My pattern, though, my life, my example should reflect my salvation that's in my heart that should transform my life. There are things that just don't belong in the life of a believer. And Peter opens up this new section here to address that. How we live before the world does matter. 
How you personally live before the world, that matters. How you privately live in this world, that should matter. It impacts someone. And think about this. The way that you live could impact someone for all of eternity. We have no time to give any room for for the flesh or for the lust of this world. Peter says we are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are aliens. We are strangers. In other words, this world is not my home, so don't you get comfortable, don't you get complacent, don't you get content. You're not going to be here that long, all right? Why? why? Because my home is in eternity, my home is in heaven, and as a believer, I'm called to shun, to abstain, to restrain from doing things that the world does. I know it, I know how enticing it may be. I know how in style it may be. I know how cool it may look or how in it may be or how relative you may think it is or how politically correct it is to live a life that compromises the Word of God. But Jesus says here, I don't care what the world says. I'm giving you a standard. And it's different It's different than that from the world. There are some things a believer in Christ should have absolutely no part whatsoever in doing. Where do I find this? I'm going to give you a few passages to look at this morning. Mull over these things in your heart. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, you should turn there. Galatians 5, we've got a few minutes. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Look at what Paul writes. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. He writes, now the works of the flesh are evident. This is what it looks like to give in to the flesh. He says, adultery comes out of the flesh. Fornication comes out of the flesh. Uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are some things that do not belong in the life of a believer. I want you to take a look at uh, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. The Apostle John wrote, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And then one more text, and we're not going to look at it, but it says very much like Galatians chapter 5. You want to jot this one down, Ephesians 5, 1 through 11. That's another text that cross-references with those texts. 
Let the word of God speak to your heart today. Don't take my word for it. See what God has to say about how we're to live differently. Ephesians 5 pretty much says you're supposed to be an imitator of God. And there are some things in your life that should never be said of you if you're a believer in Christ. And he, once again, gives this list, this long list of things that do not belong in the life of a believer. When we come to Christ, we are supposed to repent and live in sin no more. We're not to give second thought to that old, sinful, shameful way of living. And you might say today, well, I like my sin. I like participating in my sin. I know I'm going to be all right because so-and-so's all right and they live that way. I want to say this to you today. It's not okay. That's a, that's a bad worldview. It's a mockery of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you. And Peter's saying today, stop it. The Apostle Peter says, stop doing it. Go to war against your flesh. Otherwise, don't proclaim that you know Christ. Because those who live in the flesh, Romans 8, 8 says, those who live in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. Think about the pattern that you set in this world. Think, I'm thinking about the pattern that I set in this world. The way you live in this world, the way that you live before your family, the way that you live before your friends, the way that you live before the lost world, the way that you live before the church, do you set a pattern of godliness with your life? Do you truly set a, live a life set apart? Does Christ get the glory in your speech? Does Christ get the glory in your thoughts? Does Christ get the glory in where you go, in what you do, and and, and what you put down into your body, with what you put in your mind, and what you look at, and what you think about, in your priorities, direction, purpose, mission in life? You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. You're either going to serve one or the other. You can't do both. Either you're at war or you're playing around. And and Peter says the Christian life, it's not a playground, it's a battleground. Notice the the language in 1 Peter chapter 2. He talks about there's this ongoing war. He says in verse 11, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. You've got to fight. The life in Christ is a fight, a, a spiritual war inwardly. And then he says, think about how you set the pattern outwardly as well in verse 12. We get to praise and proclaim the name of Jesus with our lips. And you know, we're pretty good at doing that, but we've also got to do it with our lives. The set-apart life must be visible to the outside world. Keep your daily conduct at a high value, Peter says. The word good, the word excellent means beautiful. Take a look at, take a look at verse 12. He says, having your conduct honorable. Some of yours says good. Some of yours says excellent. It means beautiful. It means winsome. It means lovely. It means fine. It means gracious, noble. It means your life is good to look at. It's fair to look at. Is your life in Christ beautiful to look at? Is it excellent? Is it good? Is it lovely? Before those who don't know the Lord, does your life in any way glorify God? Because that is the goal of a set-apart life. It should lead others to want to glorify Jesus with their lives. Here's the reality. Peter brings it all down right here to a boil in verse, in verse 12. He says that, that by your good works, 
They may observe. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the world that does not know Christ among the nations that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know what the day of visitation is? The day of visitation is coming, okay, for all people. The world would have and does have and did have ample opportunity to believe on Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's talking about here. The day of visitation is the day that salvation is brought to those lost souls. And you know what? Salvation is offered as long as you have breath. If you don't know Jesus, he's visiting right now. The day of visitation is right now. He's here with salvation right now. The same Christ that I have in my heart and that so many of you have in your heart, he wants to be your, he he wants you to be his possession, his people, his prize. He wants to have fellowship with you. He's visiting now. But here's what Peter says. You know how it is. Visits come to an end. And one day that opportunity will come to an end. And there will be a day when you hear a gospel message for the last time. It could be now. There will be an invitation that will be given for the last time. Could be now. One day your life will be over and you will meet with God. That too is a day, a great day of visitation. In this life, Peter writes, we need to live before the world in such a way That when they see you, when they see me, they glorify Jesus, the Lord, in you. Folks, time is short. Final challenge today is this. Live for Christ. Be set apart. Don't forget who you are. The world is in need of the gospel. Be the one who proclaims it with your lips, but also with your life. Let me pray for you today. Father in heaven, we bow before you this morning. Hearing now the word of God, I pray that it has been clear. I pray, God, that the word has penetrated our hearts and has challenged us. I pray that we would see by reading these few verses that we are called to live differently, set apart from that of the rest of the world. It's what we've been saved to do. It's what we've been called to do. It's what we've been chosen to do, to be your people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, people who proclaim the name of Jesus with praise in their life in all ways. I pray this morning that if there's someone here that's asking that question, who am I? I pray that they would realize that they can find their identity, their purpose in Jesus. I pray that they would know that they are loved today. They are adored. They are treasured. They were worth the Son of God dying on the cross. May they understand today, if they've never heard it before, that they have eternal value. They were loved so much that Jesus Christ would die for their sins, that Christ would be raised to life from the dead three days later to to, to claim victory over sin, to claim victory over the world, to claim victory over the enemy, to claim victory over eternity in hell. Christ, you have the victory, and we praise your name. And I pray today that everyone here would be able to leave saying, 
I know the Lord Jesus Christ. I know who I am in Christ. The challenge today for the believer was to live a life set apart as his possession to live apart, set apart in our position, to live, to live set apart uh, in our proclamation, in our praise, to live set apart in our pattern. And I pray today for our church that Midway Baptist would be completely different, set apart in, for, in between, between us and the rest of the world, that the world would see the stark contrast between the way that we live and the way that the world lives. This is not a competition. This is about having Christ and sharing Christ This is about showing the world what it looks like to have joy and peace and purpose in Christ. This is about about proclaiming the gospel and letting others know what Jesus has done in my life. And we want others to know what Jesus has done in our lives so that they can know Christ. And so, Lord, Lord, I pray. I know that the enemy wages war in our souls. I know that that this world is indeed a battleground. And I pray we would get serious we we'll get serious about the calling that we have in our life to be set apart. So if there are believers in this room that are professing Christ with their mouths but not living it out with their lives, I pray, God, you would convict their hearts and bring, you, bring them back to you. I pray you would show them where they're falling short. I pray you would show them their potential, how much of a difference they could make if they would just surrender everything to Christ. I pray that they will be honest with you today. Nothing's hidden from you. There's not a sin in our life that we can hide from the Lord. You know everything that's going on in our lives. I pray they're not content if they're living a life that, that, that is, is uh, contrary to that of living for Christ. I pray for conviction and I pray for unrest until, Lord, you work in their soul a new work, that you literally transform them to be more like Jesus in the way that they live. So God, in this time of invitation, as we have a chance to respond to your word today, I pray that in every heart we would be obedient to what you're calling us to do. I pray that if you're leading someone to a relationship with you, that as soon as the music starts, I pray they would rise to their feet and say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to give my heart to Christ. I'm giving my all to Jesus. If there's a believer in the room that that needs to come and repent and and, and give their whole life over to the Lord and and recommit what you have started in their life, I pray that they would be so bold to say, Lord, I, I need need you. I need you to to change me. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to show me what, what needs to change in my life. I repent. I give my life over to you. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to move forward with you. So God, have your way in this time. If anyone needs to respond, I pray that they would with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come today in response to this message, may God lead you. I'll be honored to pray with you, minister to you in any way that I can. Tammy's going to play for a moment. You're welcome to come if you need.